Hello, and thank you for listening to episode four of Leading Questions, our podcast series. I'm Ellie Parkhouse, a counsel in the litigation, arbitration and investigations team at Linklaters, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Jane Lana and Madeline Chan. Today, we're going to dive into the topic of compulsory mediation and cover the recent Court of Appeal decision of Churchill versus Merthyr Tydfil, which looks set to alter the way disputes are managed by the courts. Now, we all know that mediation is one of the most common and successful forms of ADR available, and it's used by parties as a powerful tool in aid of settlement. Over the last 20 years or so, we've seen increasing support and momentum for mediation via, for example, general practice in the disputes market, the civil procedure rules and pre-action protocols, and general public policy. So Jane, tell us, how has the recent Court of Appeal case changed the landscape? And what does this mean for our listeners who may be managing litigation? Thanks, Ellie. Well, let's very briefly start with the 2004 case of Halsey versus Milton Keynes General NHS Trust, which the Court of Appeal had to consider in the Churchill case. So until now, Halsey has really been the leading case on whether parties can be compelled to mediate. It was a medical negligence case in which the claimant proposed mediation a few times, uh, but the Defendant Health Trust refused to engage. Even though the Trust won at trial, the Court went on to consider whether its refusal to mediate meant that it should be denied all or part of its costs. Usually the successful party gets most of its costs back from the other side. In this case, though, the Court held that a refusal to mediate without good cause could amount to unreasonable conduct and that could result in costs penalties, although actually in this particular case it didn't on the facts. The court also said that parties cannot be compelled to mediate, as that would be a breach of Article 6 of the European Convention on Human Rights, which protects the right to a fair trial. So in his judgment, Lord Justice Dyson, who gave the judgment of the whole court, said, it seems to us, that is the Court of Appeal, that to oblige truly unwilling parties to refer their disputes to mediation would be to impose an unacceptable obstruction on their right to access to the court. And it was this part of the judgment the Churchill case had to consider and decide whether or not it was binding on the lower court. Okay, thanks Shane. So the key takeaways from the 2004 Halsey case are, one, a refusal to mediate without good cause could amount to unreasonable conduct and cost penalties. And two, parties cannot be compelled to mediate as that would be a breach of Article 6 of the European Convention on Human Rights, which protects the right to a fair trial. Madeline, has Churchill altered the position on compulsory mediation? Well, yes. In short, the Court of Appeal in Churchill determined that the court does have the power to halt a claim or compel parties to go through non-court-based dispute resolution, so long as this does not breach a party's right to a fair trial under Article 6 of the ECHR and is proportionate to achieving the legitimate aim of settling the dispute fairly, quickly and at reasonable cost. But let's step through this in a little more detail to understand the ruling better. In this case, Mr. Churchill, the claimant, issued a claim for compensation against his local authority after finding Japanese knotweed in his garden. The Merthyr Tidville Council owned the adjoining land, and Mr. Churchill argued that the Japanese knotweed had been encroaching from the council's land onto the property. The council argued that Mr. Churchill should have explored non-court-based dispute resolution options, in this case, an internal complaints process, before bringing proceedings. The Court of Appeal had to consider, following an appeal raised by the Council, whether a court can lawfully order parties to court proceedings to engage in a non-court-based or alternative dispute resolution process, that is ADR, and if so, in what circumstances they should do so. In reaching its decision, 
it had to consider the implications of the earlier Court of Appeal Halsey case that Jane discussed. Yes, that's right. The Court of Appeal reconsidered Halsey and Churchill and determined that the remarks made by Lord Justice Dyson, which I mentioned earlier, which had established that parties could not be forced to engage in mediation, were, in legal jargon, obiter dicta, which means made in passing. So in other words, as the court saw it, the Halsey case was really one about cost sanctions. And the part of the Halsey judgment discussing compulsory mediation was not an essential or necessary part of the reasoning that led to the decision in that case. And so it did not set a precedent that had to be followed in future cases, including in the Churchill case. Thanks, Jane. As no precedent had been set, this means that the court can lawfully order parties to engage in ADR. What's also important for our listeners is that whilst the court in Churchill declined to lay down fixed principles as to what will be relevant when a court is weighing up whether or not to order the parties to engage in ADR, it did say that there were certain relevant factors that should be considered, such as whether the case is suitable for mediation, the cost to mediate and the financial situation of both parties, the form of ADR being considered, the urgency of the case, and the, reasonable of the reasonableness of any delay that ADR would cause. Other factors included whether there was any realistic prospect of the case being resolved through ADR and the reasons given by a party for not wishing to mediate. For example, if the parties had tried previously and been unsuccessful. Great. Thanks, Madeline and Jane. It's clear that this is an important case, reflected also by the fact that there were several interested parties providing submissions to the court, including the Law Society, Bar Council and other mediation groups. So Jane and Madeline, what are the practical takeaways for our listeners? We'll share two key takeaways for our listeners. First, it's now even more important for parties to give greater thought to ADR as early as possible in proceedings. Now, there are obviously different types of ADR, each process will have its own methods and timing, but this case makes it clear that ADR shouldn't be an afterthought. Instead, it should be something that parties have at the forefront of their minds when about to engage in a contentious dispute, whether that's starting proceedings against another party or being on the receiving end of them. For those with proceedings already on foot, they should actively and regularly consider the value of potential ADR. Secondly, there is an increasing risk of very real cost consequences for parties who adopt an unreasonable approach towards mediation or ADR. If a party doesn't consider its case to be suitable for ADR, then it should, to best protect itself against cost sanctions, ensure that its decision is justified and recorded so that it can be explained to the court as and when needed. This decision should also be revisited as the proceedings progress to ensure that the party has not become too blinkered in its approach to ADR. Thank you, Jane and Madeline. That was really interesting. To our listeners, thank you for listening. And if you'd like more information, feel free to contact us directly or see the briefing we have just published. You'll find that in the knowledge section of our website at linklaters.com.